you for your son, Jesus. him everything to bring us back home. There's so many of your people that have lost sight of what it costs to become a son of God. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you remind your people to pursue your people. To open their eyes in the beginning the way you opened those men's eyes on the road to Emmaus that they don't see their theologies or their experiences anymore but they see you because I know Jesus that when someone sees you following you out of a mental idea of who you are. And that mental idea doesn't hold them when they're put into the press of society and life. And they have to try to be a Christian in those moments. You never had to try to be the Son of God. never envisioned a religion where we would have to try to be something you died to make us. So Lord, I ask that you grant me the words to speak to your people and it would be from you and not me. And we would lift you up, Father, and we would see that your reality is the only reality worth considering. servants of your kingdom, but we are sons and kings and priests as well. And it costs you everything to lift us up on high. That you proudly became the son of man so that we could become the sons of God. Such an amazing transfer that we are not worthy of. But somehow it satisfied your heart to make it so. I thank you for that, Father. I thank you for the Son of God, the only begotten Lamb of God who makes all things new. I thank you for letting him touch my life. For setting me free from things that everybody else still strives to be free from. For the grace and the favor to walk with you, to know you, to know your resurrection, your power. We thank you, Father, and we love you. We want to love you more. Help us in doing that. In your name we ask these things. give the Lord a hand in in their offering here to the Lord. They do a good job.
Yeah. Yeah, so guys, we're, uh, if you have children and you want to send them back, you can. We are going to ask one thing, though, for those of you who have the really young kids, um, for the TOTS class, we want to make sure that um, we want to raise that age to three. We've had a little bit of, of some issues with some of the younger ones that have caused some um, challenges, and so we want to make sure that they have the understanding level to be able to be taught and, and things like that. So. If they're below three, we have this room back over here. You're welcome to use if you need it. Um, but the rest of you guys are welcome to go back there and uh, and hang out with the, the cool kids. So, everybody okay? Justin, how you doing, man? It's good to see you. Uh, I don't know how to do this. See, to, to us, this is a day in history. To God, it's a lifestyle. See, uh, the resurrection isn't a moment in time. It's a person. It's not a day you mark on your calendar. It's something that costs God everything to give you. Does that make sense? How do you unpack something like that? How, how, do, you, how do you relay to people what it costs the Father to give you a power that many of you aren't using? That it costs God everything to give you that life and we've reduced it down to a mental idea of who God is and what he did a long time ago. See, the resurrection of Jesus isn't just for him. Amen. The Bible says that if, we were, if he was buried, we were buried with him. If he was raised, we were raised with him. So it's not just his resurrection day, it's also... So what do you tell an entire generation of Christianity that doesn't live in resurrection power and still trying to be a good Christian and satisfy and please God because of their works and their theological opinions that God is not impressed by? See, God wants us to walk and move in power. Paul says the kingdom of God is not in meat or drink, but it's in power. It's not an opinion. It's not in a message. It's not in a sermon. How do I relay this to you? I don't know, it's too big of a topic. Because see, resurrection is the power by which you th are supposed to live your Christian life. Do you realize that every time that God began to start something in mankind, it took resurrection first? That man was raised before he ever had the life? That the life brought the raising? Go back to Genesis when God made man the first time. Man was with form. If you sat there and looked at him, you would think that's a human being. But he's just laying there. This human being laying there in Adam has an experience of being touched by the hands of the Father. True or not? 
He's had an intimate expression with God, forming him, making him, history, time. It took God time to put this together. Do you think that he, that he just, you know, whipped us up? The DNA on the cellular level and how intricate and complicated it is, the human eye in which baffled even Darwin in his theory of evolution. That the human eye was the thing that caused Darwin to have to go, everything makes sense and I can explain everything except that. Why? Because with the eye we see him. <laughs> that God just puts you together rapidly for some instant design that he's going to scoot you along your way and make you go work for him for the rest of your life and now be a good, be a good person out there somewhere and your job is out there and mine's over here. Do you think that's the way it worked? That Adam, if he could have talked in that moment, had some sort of ability and, and conviction to be able to say, I have had history with God. God made me. God touched me. God formed me. All the proper theology, yet he has no life inside of him. And the first thing that God did was take his nature, his ever eternal, never ending, powerful nature that can never run out of energy or strength, world without end, eons in time, can never exhaust his limitless power. And he blew that same power into Adam and he got up. That's resurrection. That's how we started. And yet we live every day after that as if we're underneath the powers of the air. Oh, my depression. Let me worship it in front of you. All oh, the anxiety. Resurrected beings bowing before the thing that Jesus died to ascend them over. And we call it Christianity when we live below the powers of the air. Like it's some good thing to trust the Lord when we're living underneath the powers of the air. Underneath their influence, we have lost all hope. We have lost all power of influence. When we face a situation, our mindsets are automatically going into thinking, God's not gonna do this for me, but I have to trust him anyway. Walking in defeated. When the Bible says you have already finished your race and you're already seated with God in heavenly places. Yes. See, resurrection is the core nuts and bolts. It's the hinge upon which everything rests in Christianity. And if we deny that reality and we deny God that reality through us, we deny our own faith. And we make a nice little religion out of it where we come to a building once a week and we check the box. And that is not why Jesus spilled his blood. Because when God made man the second time, the same thing happened. That blood formed into the ground on the cross, purifying all of the dust of the earth. And Jesus raises from the dead and he walks into a room and he breathes on them the same way he breathed in Adam and said, receive my eternal life. And they begin to live. And yet we're entirely trying to fabricate some form of the gospel, call it Christianity and make be a good little believer. 
I wonder why we don't see the things that we're supposed to see because we don't believe that we're going to have the power to release them. See, we have to live in a resurrected reality before that resurrected reality is going to be released. Jesus said before he died, I am the resurrection. He was the thing before the thing occurred. And so are you. That's a good intro. Thank you, Father. See, I get a little bit, I don't even know what the, what the right adjective is. I don't want to say frustrated because that, that implies negativity, but I get caught up in my spirit when I see the church living below the thing that God died to free them from. Many Christians celebrate what Jesus crucified to eradicate. Unbelief, doubt, lust, depression, disobedience, rebellion, disrespect, lack of submission. All the things you find in Jesus' life, or you don't find in Jesus' life, you often find in the life of the believer. Because we think that was his job to die and be resurrected, and then it gives us this free pass into heaven, and we don't have any responsibility past that except to be good people. Does that make sense to you? No, you are stewards of resurrection life. God breathed in you the moment you got born again. And from that moment forward, there's accountability. Because when God puts his ever-living, eternal life force inside of you, he demands something from it. You will answer to God by what he breathed inside of your spirit. Because the excuses will not matter on that day. Well, God, I didn't know if I had the power. He said, you had my life inside of you. The same life that created the world. The same spirit that raised my son from the dead. And we walk around like, I don't know. I just, I get an angst inside of me looking at believers. And they're just, oh, I don't know, brother. Bless the Lord. Have you experienced the power of resurrection? Or are you just tickled with your theology? Because your your theology doesn't doesn't change your marriage. Because your wife doesn't care about your theology. She cares about your character. (laughs) See, you think your theology means something to me. It means nothing to me. Your experiences mean nothing to me. Because they're not my experiences. Your character means something to me. Why? Because Jesus formed his character before he was released in power. How you treat people is your true theology. That make sense? See, the resurrection of Jesus Christ transforms Christianity from something we believe in to something that we become. We become resurrected beings. It's not something we theologically agree with and sing about once a year. Every day is resurrection life. 
Even in the Hebraic understanding, when you go to, the, the day starts in the evening, so you start your day with death, with rest, with being asleep. Why? So that when you wake, you experience new life. We think our, more, our day starts in the morning. It doesn't. It starts the night before. And your first act of every day is to raise from the dead. Why? Because it's the very nature, fabric, core DNA of believing in Messiah Jesus. To live resurrected power. To live resurrected power in your marriage, and your finances, how you treat people, at your job, at your school. That they literally see life flowing from you. See, being that resurrected power, being that resurrected identity requires a stewardship. That's why Christianity doesn't like anything to do with the resurrection. That's why we only celebrate it once a year. Because Christianity doesn't like the stewardship that it requires to be a resurrected people. We would rather just celebrate it once a year for the sake of Jesus and then go live the rest of our 364 days for ourselves and then never live as resurrected beings. It requires a stewardship. God gave you his resurrected power, which means you must steward what he gave you. You must work into your life, into your marriage, into your issues, the resurrected power of God. Guess what? Nothing can rise unless it has first. This is why we don't see resurrection life in Christianity, because people don't want to die. They don't want their marriage to die. They don't want their finances to die. They don't want to die personally. They don't want to die with, with their children. Listen, if you haven't come to the place where the cross, you've released everything to the cross of Jesus and your life has come completely neutral, I wonder if you've ever even been born again. Well, brother, I've been saved because God touched me. God touches a lot of people. That doesn't mean they're saved. 25 years of ministry have proved to me that I've watched people come to the altar, weep their guts out, and go back and be twice the child of hell they were before they came forward. Experience with God means nothing. Ask Saul of the Old Testament. Spirit of God falling all over him, yet he's got the heart of a murderer. Just because God touches you doesn't mean anything. What matters is do you surrender fully to the touch? If you're still biting on your husband, I wonder if you're born again. If you're having sex before marriage, I wonder if you've tasted the goodness of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's not popular, is it? I don't care. Because I'm not trying to get you to build my church. I'm trying to build his kingdom and get you there. I don't care whether you're here or not. I care whether you're there or not. See, the resurrection gives me the ability to demonstrate the power I only once believed in. Everybody believes in the power of God. Few have the ability to demonstrate it. You with me? Yes. I wonder if we should stop talking about the things that we're not actively releasing. It's not that you don't possess it. 
So you haven't learned how to release it. You got to die before you rise. Right. You got to let go of some things. You got to suffer some things. I don't know what to tell you. There's no easy way to the cross. I've been there a bunch of times. It's always been hard. It's always difficult. I've lost a whole lot of things, but I've, I've regained everything and, and then some. But it took a long time for me to get some of that back. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. You think I, I, I wanted to, 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 to be, a, it's not that I despise the position, but I never asked to be a pastor. <laughs> I had my own dreams, my own visions, my own callings, my own hopes, my own plans, my own futures. And then God decided just to interrupt me one day. And then I realized I got to give up everything. So I quit my job and I sold everything I had, moved in with my parents. That's a big success according to the American culture. Stayed there for a long time. Had nothing. But God is faithful. If you let something go, he will return way more than you ever could have. You with me? See, I, I want to propose something to you. Christianity, the very modern idea of Christianity, brings God backwards to a moment in time. Yeah. By its very nature, we're constantly living in reverse. We're going back to the teachings of Jesus. We're going back to all those things. We're going back to the cross, back to looking at all those things. And that's all fine and good. But do you realize when Jesus was teaching those things, they weren't so that we could look backwards. It was so that we could take his teachings and move forward with him. You with me? So Christianity brings God backwards. It takes God and it fits him into a pre-resurrected existence in our mind's eye. So Jesus to us, many times in our mind's eyes, this guy, this Nazarene walking the dusty roads of Jerusalem, he's not there anymore. You can't contain him. You can't control him. He's not fascinated by your opinions. He's on the loose. You can't manipulate him. Ladies, I know you like to do that. But he's not going to be manipulated by you. That's not popular either, is it? Uh, you want me to pick on the men for a minute too, just to make it even? Okay. Guys, God's not impressed with your laziness, your spiritual laziness. Now, I don't like this guy. Somebody's saying, that's okay. You're not supposed to like me, you're supposed to love me. I'm okay with you not liking me. <laughs> uh. See, but resurrection demands that all mankind come forward into the lifestyle that Jesus made possible in the flesh. Resurrection means you have to come and get in line with him as he is where he is, as he sits where he sits. He's no longer a man in the past. He's a resurrected person who can never be killed you can't threaten him. I saw some idiot in New York carrying a sign that says, let Jesus come back, we'll just kill him again. I thought, ooh. You, <laughs> what are you going to do? 
like he's invincible. You reach out to touch him, your hand goes through him. I mean, what, you gonna shoot him? You gonna cut his head off? It's, it doesn't work. He's powerful. And right now, guys, let me tell you this, right now, he's for you. There's coming a time where if you do not bow the knee, he'll be against you. And you will not win that war. You will lose. That's better bow the knee now. Surrender now to the winning side. You with me? See, his resurrection is our resurrection. Paul says in Romans 6 that if you were buried with him, you're raised with him. You understand that this isn't just his thing. He expects the same of us. Anybody have an issue in your life right now? Anybody have an issue? Your marriage, your life, finances, anybody? Rest of your liars? Okay. <laughs> God expects resurrection power in that circumstance. But guess what? You expect God to bring it in spite of you. God expects to bring it through you. Amen. But it's not happening. Well, it's because you need to change. That's right. See, we're no longer waiting on God. He's waiting on us. I know it says in the Bible, wait on the Lord and he'll renew your strength, but that's in the Old Testament. Jesus told me that out of my belly shall flow rivers of living water. Rivers don't run dry. They just keep going. They never run out. They just keep going. I don't know how they keep going, but they keep going. Jesus said, if you're weary and heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you so if I'm always with him, I'm always in. How come we're not always in? Because we're seeing him in a way that he isn't actually existing in. We're waiting on him to do something he's already done, and we call that Christianity. See, Christians pursue the things that sons naturally possess. Christians pray for the things that sons already own. Christianity in its modern sense is more about unbelief than it is about faith. But it's okay as long as we have proper theology. Doesn't matter whether we live that theology or not, as long as we can just talk about it. How many of you are, have said it out of your own mouth, talk's cheap? Yes. Yeah, we, we reduce our Christianity down to just talk. Oh, man. Let's see. I'll move on. Okay, so because Jesus has raised himself from the dead, right? Jesus says... Well, he says this. He says, no one takes my life from me. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to what? To take it up again. Do you realize that's the same reality that you have? Which means every time you choose to die, it's not because you have to. Because you chose to. It's one thing to have to die, be forced into a chaotic, death-filled situation. It's quite another thing to look at it and go, they need freedom, therefore I must die. I don't want to, but I want to for them, so I will. 
That's the cross. That's a true definition of the cross. People say, oh, I'm just bearing my cross, brother. What does that mean? You washing your dishes because you don't want to? That's not a cross. That's a human duty. Going to work is not a cross. You know what a cross is? It's when you realize that your sacrifice for someone else will benefit them coming to Jesus, and it's going to hurt you and bless them, so you do it. That's a cross. How many Christians do you know who fill their lives with crosses and take them up every day? No, we're more worried about someone else carrying our cross than we are carrying theirs. Do you realize it? Do you realize even in scripture that when you pick up your own cross, you need a community around you because even Jesus couldn't carry his own cross? Hmm? You ever think about that story? Why would Jesus to tell us to, to do something that he couldn't even do himself? Because he expected the love of the brethren to be such present in our life and our communities that when we couldn't carry our cross anymore, we've established enough relationship with each other and love that we get up underneath each other's crosses and we help them carry and finish that race. And yet you're still trying to do it on your own. And you won't let anybody help you because I don't know why. Well, I know why, but I'm not going to say it, but. We're too proud. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 24 so we can read some Bible. That way all the religious people are happy. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. This is a story of the man, two men on the road to Emmaus. I want you to understand that this story is really interesting because it's the first story outside of Jesus inter, uh, appearing to Mary. It's the first thing that he did after he raised from the dead. When we see things that happen in the order of God after major cataclysmic events in the scriptures, we understand that that's the intention and the order of the Father. Jesus doesn't waste time and do things happenstance and by, by just randomness. He doesn't just go and say, hey, you know, let's just do this now. <laughs> There's a, there's, a, there's a prophetic order that God operates in. And so when you begin to see things, it's why I love John chapter 20. It's why I love uh, Genesis. It's why I love certain uh, uh, points in time where, where you begin to see the intentions of God. I, I suggest you go study those things out. You'll, you'll dig out all kinds of amazing things. Because the things that, that first occur after those major incidents is the intention that God uh, wants to show forth. You with me? So this story is, is, is powerful because Jesus this does, does something here that's restorative and that most people miss. Uh, I guess, let's, let's, let's read it so we have a context. So if you've not heard the story, you know. It says, verse 13, Behold, two men, uh, two of them were going the very day to the village uh, named Emmaus, which was three score furlings from Jerusalem. That's seven miles. Um, yeah, there you go, seven miles. Let's use that one. And they talked together of these things which happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Let's stop right there. Okay, these are disciples, if you didn't know the story. These are disciples. Some theological people say that these are one of the 70 that walked with Jesus. So they have a history with Jesus. You with me? They're church people like you and me. This is where it's going to get 
hopefully connective with where you're at. They're good church people. They have history with Jesus. They know theology. They know the teachings of Jesus. They've walked with him for a long time. I even suggest to you that they had the power of God come out of them in doing the signs and wonders and miracles that Jesus sent them to do. They've got ministerial history, and yet they don't see the man walking with them. That's modern Christianity. We have all these experiences and knowledge and conferences and books and seminars and things we read, but we're not conscious of the resurrected man walking with us every day. Because our eyes are shut. What shuts our eyes? Sin, unbelief, and seeing God in a way that he actually doesn't exist in. In other words, creating our own idol and calling it Jesus. In other words, what I think I want God to be like, what I want Jesus to be like. Jesus is just, you know, it's, it's amazing to me. If you travel the world, Jesus is so many different things to different cultures. If you go to certain parts of South America, he's a communist with an AK thrown over his shoulder on some pictures. Seriously. You go to other cultures, he's this hippie in a tunic with flowers around his head. And we, we can make him be whatever we want him to be. Well, I want him just to be love. No, 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 I, nothing hard. I just want Jesus to love me. We gotta love him, brother. What does that mean? Jesus called a woman a dog. He beat people twice in the temple. What, what it, we just got to love them. I don't know what that means to you. But you have an idea of what that means. And guess what? If anybody shows up to your life doing anything other than your idea of what God is, guess what you're going to do? <laughs> and what if it was God sent to you through them? And then you go to God someday on the final day of judgment, look at him, and he's like, how come you didn't ever tell me? You never told me. And he's like, I sold you here, here, here. And he starts showing you these people you just stiff-armed because it didn't fit your theology. Yes. Where are we at? Their eyes were restrained. I just want to give you a little history. Those of you who have been here a while, you understand this. Jesus was the first and only one up until Paul in the New Testament and the whole Bible that had the ability to heal blind eyes. No prophet in the Old Testament had the ability to do that. You had guys raise the dead. You had guys cure leprosy. You had guys do all kinds of stuff. But the healing of blind eyes never happened before. And their eyes were restrained so they did not know him. How do you walk with Jesus for a long time and not know him? Because you're looking at him in a pre-cross, pre-resurrected idea. Now Jesus shows up in a post-cross, post-resurrection reality relationship with these guys, and they don't recognize him. And we many times are trying to serve Jesus in a pre-cross, pre-resurrection idea of him when he's a post-cross, post-resurrection God. Yes. In other words, he has all power, which means so do you. And if you look at him as the only one having power and you don't, you're serving God in a pre-resurrected reality. You're bringing God backwards into your time frame where he's everything and I'm nothing. God doesn't die for nothing. I mean, come on. I wouldn't die for nothing. Why would God? 
He dies for something. You don't die for junk, do you? You lay your life down because you love those people. You with me? All right, let's go on. And you say to them, what kind of conversation is this that you've had with another, and why are you sad? <laughs> That's Christianity. I made Jesus walking right. Well, why are you always sad? Yeah. I can see him walking next to your marriage, next to your finances, next to your life, and him scratching the head going, why are you always sad? Right. Well, because... Because this and because that and because Jesus wasn't there, isn't there for me right now and all this stuff and God's not moving in my life. And See, they think they lost something. Anytime Christianity puts your eyes on what you've lost, you're blind to what you have. So you want to talk to me about how bad your wife is, how bad your husband is? That's fine. But you're now, you're now blind. To everything you've been given. Yes. You're blind to everything you've been given. And you're going to curse the provision of God because it doesn't set well with you the way you want it. I don't, I don't, I don't advise it. <clears throat> Why are you sad? Next verse. And the one named Cleopas answered him and said, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem that doesn't know the things that have happened these days? And Jesus, let me just look at this guy. <laughs> what things? <laughs> See, God, you know why he asked that? Because he wants to know your rendition of his story. Does it match his? Or are you prop improperly interpreting what he did? Amen, Chad, that was good. Concerning things of Jesus of Nazareth, he's prophet, mighty indeed, word of God, all the people. Powerful. Yeah, this guy's awesome. What? Next verse. How the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel and indeed, besides all this, today's the third day since these things have happened. And certainly women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. And when they did not find his body, they came saying that he was seen a vision of angels who was alive. Right? And we went to the tomb, found it just as these women had said, but we didn't see him. And Jesus said to them, See, what the prophets have spoken has everything to do with a current reality, not a past one. What Jesus, being the first prophet of the New Testament, has spoken has everything to do with a current reality, not a past one. Oh, foolish one, slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter his glory? He's saying, listen, you've read the Bible your entire life and you missed everything. It's possible to be engaged in the service of God and the ministry of church and the attendance of, of group gatherings and absolutely miss everything. Like, I guess I'm from a, the, that, that generation that first started breaking the mold of religion. Because <laughs> I got tired as a young boy seeing all these hypocritical people coming to church, acting one way on Sunday, and being another way all throughout the week. 
I mean, I, I would sniff out a lie and be like, man, you guys are all freaking hypocrites. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an eight-year-old boy having thoughts like this when I come to church, looking at everybody going, this is not real for you. I watch how you treat your wife and your daughters. I didn't want it. You keep your old-time religion. I don't want it. I want life. I want a Jesus who's attractive. I want a Jesus who, when I see him, I fall at his feet as though I were dead. And all of my ideas and all of my opinions and all of my theological studies go out the window, and I just grab a hold of his ankles and go, I want to know you. <laughs> That's the guy I want to know. The one that just constantly just gets in my face and just ruins everything I thought I knew about him and takes me to another level. And I'm like, oh, what? You've got to be kidding me. How come you didn't tell me this before? Because you weren't ready. Oh, are you ready for the next one? All not that the Christ who have suffered these things enter his glory. So you don't understand it's going to take you suffering to enter the glory of God. The Bible says that through much tribulation, you will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's not the bless me gospel you hear. And you get saved, everything's going to be great. Listen, when I got saved, my life, everything got harder. Everything in my life gets harder every time God touches me in a deep way. Why? Because I become more and more a threat to the enemy, and he's got to pull out bigger and bigger arsenals to try to get me to stop me. You actually really want circumstantial peace? Don't pursue Jesus. Because if you start pursuing Jesus, there's, the outside's going to get rough. Your internal peace will go through the roof. You'll be like, all oh, this stuff's going on. Somehow I'm okay with it. I don't understand how. I guess that's that peace that passes understanding. Wow. The Bible's real. Because I should be freaking out right now. You understand what I'm saying? He began at Moses and the prophets expounded to them all things of scripture concerning himself. I wish I would have been there to hear Jesus teach about himself in the Old Testament. That's one thing I'm going to ask when I get to heaven. It's like, Jesus, can you repeat that? Can you just put that on video? Let me watch that. And they drew near the village where they were going and he indicated he was going to go farther. I love this about him. They get to where they're going because they're concerned with their journey. And Jesus is like, okay, I'll keep on going. See, Jesus isn't con concerned about your journey. He's concerned about his. And he wants you to be with him. But if you don't invite him in, guess what's not going to happen? He's going to keep on walking. He's a gentleman. He indicated he was going to go farther. They constrained him and said, stay with us because it's evening. The day is far spent. So he went in to stay with them. I love that. I love that. I say, God, I want you to come into my life. He's like, okay, I'll come into your life. Until that point, all I've got is blindness and frustration and foolishness and unbelief and doubt and all these things and ideas and my, my, my thoughts about what happened and what's going on and what God did and didn't do and how it didn't happen the way I thought it was going to. And we're confused and all this stuff. And Jesus is like, I'm still with you. Was he with these guys the whole time? And they, did they know it? Have you had situations in your life where it was hard, but Jesus was with you and you didn't know it until you looked backwards? Yes. What about actually acknowledging it in the moment? You know what that would require? 
it would require you for, for just a second, it would require you to not give in to your feelings. <gasps> it is possible. I know it's hard for some of you guys. For some of you, the emo your emotions are more powerful than the Holy Spirit. I should have got at least one amen, but I think you're all stomping on your toes. And he went in. Next verse. They came to pass. He sat at the table with them. He took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to him. This is amazing. Next verse. Their eyes were immediately opened. They knew him, and he vanished from their sight. <laughs> Let me ask you this. What happened in Genesis when man fell away? What did they do? They ate something offered to them by a higher power. And it caused what? What was Jesus doing here? He was restoring their ability to see him. Let me say it this way. In Genesis, we lost our ability to see God. In Jesus, he first gave us the ability to partake of his death in the Last Supper. In this story, he's now giving us the right to partake of his resurrection. As soon as he broke the bread, they knew it was him. Wow. Why? Because once you take taste of the cross of Jesus Christ willingly, he will be there on your journey and give you the ability to see him in resurrected power. And you know what it did to their life? They got out of that room, they canceled their hotel reservation, and they walked seven miles that night back to where they started from in the first place because they never should have left. Seeing him that way restored their journey in community and Messiah Jesus the way he originally intended for it to. When he gave them that food, their eyes were opened. Once again, you have the man of all men healing blind eyes so that they can see God living in resurrection power. You with me? Does this make sense to you? See, these guys had a pre-cross relationship, a pre-resurrection relationship with Jesus, and so do many Christians. They can't see his resurrection authority and power in their life because they've not first tasted of the death of his cross in their life. And so many people come to me and it's like, oh, it doesn't make sense. This is going on, and why won't this change? It won't change because you are fueling that war. I'm thoroughly convinced, guys. Take this to the bank. I'm going to say 80% of your problems are self-induced. Right here. You won't shut it down and you won't die. Therefore, because that's happening, the devil has access to your body. And when he has access to your body, he starts manipulating your emotions. Your emotions feel real. So therefore, you believe them. You give your authority and your faith to the devil. The devil comes in, takes your resurrection power, moves you underneath the powers of God. Therefore, in that moment, you're confused. Why? Because you're living in a state that you know you're not supposed to live in. And you're not able to get here anymore. And you don't know what happened. And then you're going to say, well, God's not the author of confusion. No, he's not. You are. This is not complicated. It's hard, but it ain't complicated. You with me? Yes. See, when Adam and Eve ate, ate of that tree of knowledge, it opened their eyes to evil. 
When the men on the road to Emmaus partook of the bread of heaven and its resurrection form, their eyes were opened to the man who hung on the tree of life. See, when he broke the bread that last time, he was in full resurrected form. When he broke the bread at the Last Supper, he was not in full resurrected form, was he? There's two parts of Messiah Jesus we must partake from. The, the crucified life that he calls us to, and then also the resurrected reality he gives us freely. Yes. And until we do the one, the other's not going to make sense. And then all we can do, basically, if we're not partaking of the one and getting the other, is just celebrate his resurrection once a year. When you should be waking up every day going, there's a cross for me. Why? So that there's resurrection power for me. Yes. And you know what the world needs? They need you to rise from the dead. They need you to rise from your depression. They need you to rise from your anxiety and your stupidity and your selfishness and your marriage problems, your money problems. They need you to rise up because if you're so focused and consumed on yourself, you cannot be about your father's business. Yes. Your money, somebody else will spend it. All you got to do is die. And they will buy stuff you never wanted them to buy. <laughs> but the kingdom of heaven, you can take that with you. With me? Amen. I want to go to one last verse. Well, I'm gonna, let me just summarize it for the story's sake. See, I want you to understand verse 31. Their eyes were opened and they knew him. That's the entire intention of God. He wants you to know him. Not the way you want to know him, not the way you think you know him. He wants you to know him the way he wants to be known. Yes. I say this all the time. Do you want people to know the real you or the idea they have of you? But guess what? If you don't get close enough to people, all they're ever going to know is their idea of you. Yes. And that's exactly why most Christians don't love God because they don't know who he is. They only know the idea they've made him to be. I don't want to be known by the idea of who I am. Some of you don't know me. This is the only version of me you see, so therefore you ergo, this, he's this. My wife will tell you I'm, I'm not. I'm something else. You with me? So, yeah, my wife says amen. <laughs> so that's the best one. That's the best amen in the house. That's all I need. Mary goes to the tomb on resurrection morning and she's crying. She's weeping. She's sad, much like these guys right here. It's amazing how, many, how much post-resurrection reality we live in underneath the spirit of sorrow and sadness. And she's weeping over a problem that's already solved. She just can't see it. In the story, is Jesus in the tomb? No. no, the stone's there. She asks, who will roll the stone away for us? And he's not even in there. She's concerned about things that Jesus has already moved on from. Same thing with your problems and your issues. Many of you are crying at sealed tombs, wondering what God's going to do in your life with your marriage, with your finances. And Jesus is like, look, I've already made the way. I'm not in there anymore. And the angel comes and says something really powerful. He says this to her. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Yes. In other words, why are you seeking God in a place where he's no longer there? 
Why are you making God to be dead in your life, dead in your marriage, dead in your circumstances, dead in your finances, dead in the, your relationship? with? Why are you making him to be dead when he's actually alive? Why are you focusing your Christianity around a God who's never going to meet you because you're not worthy of him? See, she was worried about a problem. Jesus already saw. Jesus wasn't there. And he said, he's not here. He's risen. And she turns around because this guy's standing there. She thinks he's the guardian. He's like, tell me where you laid him. <laughs> so I can minister to Jesus. He's like, no. No, I'm here to minister to you. And you're supposed to receive it. So he calls her by name. And immediately, <sighs> Jesus. See, some of you need to hear God call your name so that you can learn what it means to die for someone else, so that you can learn what it means to live in resurrected power. Because if you spend the rest of your Christian life for you, your job, your kids, your wife, your family, and nothing else, then you've never understood the gospel of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I understand the gospel of Jesus. That's why I'm up here. I don't say this in a condemning way, but I don't get paid to do this. I'm here because I love you and I want Jesus to have his people. I'm not getting rich off the gospel. <laughs> but the gospel has made me so wealthy. In my marriage, in my kids, in my heart. You need that. Can we get some of the team to come forward here? I want to give them a moment. I don't normally do this at the end. I'm, I pray that this morning you were encouraged and challenged, but here's what I pray more, more, than, more than anything, is that at some point during the sermon that you've had a, a wake-up reality that I am not living for Jesus. I was living for my idea of him, my past experiences of him, my opinions of him, but I don't have the resurrection power of God in my life. And I want it. I don't want to have to be a slave to my circumstances, to my mind, to my emotions. I don't want to have to be underneath the powers of darkness. I don't want to have to constantly fight for something I already possess. I don't want to serve somebody in a way that uh, puts him in a post or a pre-cross, pre pre-resurrection reality. I want to know him. Paul says that I would know him and the power of his resurrection. That I would know him in the power of his resurrection. I, the church has missed the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the power it brings to life. So how do I get there? It's real simple. You repent. You change how you think. You say, God, I'm sorry, and I'm done with this. I'm done with the selfish life. I'm done with the unbelieving life. I'm done with the slow of, of believing life. And I don't want to do that anymore. And I've put all my faith in what you've done for me in the past, and I've, and I've, I've looked at my circumstances and what you've done for me, and I'm, I'm doing nothing for you now. And I'm sorry. You repent. I've taught this to, to, to this church over and over again, but you guys understand, even physiologically speaking, we see with our brains, not our eyes. Repentance means a change of thought, which means in order for your ability to see, to be healed, you have to repent. And you have to decide that what I was living for 
isn't what I should be living for. And then you ask him to forgive you. And guess what? He will. Because the resurrection of Jesus was for you. It was for me. Or maybe you just need a fresh touch from the Lord and you've just kind of been stagnant for a minute and you're like, I don't know which way to go, but I need Jesus and I want more of him. Or anywhere in between. I'm going to ask you to come forward. And we're going to get people to pray for you. If you were moved at any point during this message, I'm going to ask you to come forward. Don't miss your moment. He's either worth it for you or he's not. And I even think there's some of you, right? Some of you today, God's watching your response. And if you step forward, he's going to, he's going to meet you. But if you stay where you're seated, you're going to go back around this mountain again. Until you get to the point where I'm like, I'm tired of living like this. I can't live like this anymore. That's where I got to my life. I was a young kid and I threw my Bible across the floor or the, the room and I slammed against the wall and said, God, if there's not more of you than this, I don't want it. I don't want it. If there's not more to you, then I don't want it. And guess what? There's more, guys. He met me. He changed my life. He changed my heart. He took away all the bondage and all the acts of service I was trying to give to him in the religion and he became valuable to me if we get some guys from the church just to start praying ladies those of you who are here just start praying for people if you're out if you're sitting out there just begin to lay hands on those up here Listen, this is life or death. This is not, a, this is not just a sermon. This, this, this is about your eternity. This is about you facing Jesus in the right way and him looking at you and going, I am pleased with you. You stopped playing the game and you became my son and you became my daughter. And this wasn't a religion anymore. It wasn't a historical fact, but you became the bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So God, I pray for these right now, right here. I pray, that God, that the spirit of repentance would just come upon them and that they would say, Father, forgive me for making my life about myself. Forgive me for seeing you in a way that you don't exist in. I ask you to forgive me for not loving you the way you love me. I ask you to forgive me for not living in resurrection power. And I need your grace, Lord, to be able to move forward and to walk in this reality. Because let me tell you something, he loves you so much that he had his own son undergo such a beating that his intestines were falling out from the backside because your value to him was to stay on that cross until the full work had been done and he released the cry that's going out into heaven even now and bouncing around all of eternity. It is finished. There's nothing else you're waiting for. He's waiting on you to come to him. So we love you, Abba. And we thank you for your mercy. And those who have just been playing the game and skirting around the cross, Lord, I pray right now they would come to it. And they would say, Jesus, forgive me for my sin. 
save my soul. With every breath that I am made. Let your death be my death. Let your resurrection be my resurrection. Let your reality be my reality. If that's your heart, just lift your hands and say, God, I believe in my heart. Change my life. Change my life. that constantly comes from that great cross and the altar of God. Lord, I pray for your people that they would not live in subjection to darkness, but God, they would begin to rise and live in a reality that you have called them into being. That if you're seated at the right hand of the Father and we're seated with you in heavenly places, that means we're seated right next to you, God. I pray that the eternal reality would come into their focus and their vision and the lies that the enemy tries to speak over their minds and over their hearts to pull them into temporal realities would be broken. That God, they would begin to understand that their life is not for this earth. That you called them to a higher reality and a higher being and a higher calling. To give kingdom, the, the, the kingdom of God, the, the blessing of, of the creativity you've placed inside of them. For each one here, Father, is powerful, it's beautiful, it's wonderfully made, full of creativity and full of life. And they begin to realize that they pour that into the gospel of Jesus instead of whatever they're pursuing and that blessings will overtake them when they put your kingdom first. Father, I pray for the hunger to increase inside of them. I pray that what you've done in, your, in, in their life this morning would not be stolen away, but it would grow and produce fruit, lasting, remaining fruit, God. We love you. We worship you, God. We thank you. We honor you. All glory goes to you, Jesus. We ask you to bless your people the rest of this day. Protect them, watch over them, and bring them back that we might fellowship with one another again. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for being patient with us. You're, you're dismissed.